do not ever waste your time trying to convince someone that you're worthy of their time. Like you are Simon Cowell and everyone's auditioning to be on your show. All right. Welcome to Backseat Driver. I'm your host, Nikki Bennett, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I'm here to help you navigate the twists and turns of life using real-world advice from me and my guests. Together, we illustrate how our greatest struggles often wind up being our greatest strengths. Thanks for listening. They're okay. going to know more about me than they want to by the time it's over anyway, so... I love it. Okay, so that's exactly why I wanted to have you on the show, because I am all about just, like taking the masks off and being real. So I see really high functioning people and they all have problems and they all have shame and they're all embarrassed about it. And I'm like, I'm not afraid to tell my story because I know you Mm -hmm. have one. And the more you pretend not to, the more I raise my eyebrows and go, Oh boy, it's deep with you. And so I love that about you, just how real and raw you are. So tell our listeners about you and the work you do. And, and also I'm curious about your why behind sharing the way you do. My why is that I want to normalize Mm -hmm. just being a human. And I want people to feel comfortable sharing their story because I know the more I do, it invites vulnerability from others. Just piggybacking off what you said, I feel like the only way to connect and help anyone is to talk about these things. That is exactly why I've grown so much organically because that is how community happens by, yeah, maybe we don't all go through the same things, but the thought that I had 12 years ago when I first started writing and and speaking was because I was um, talking about these feelings that we all feel, we all feel the same. That is how we connect. That is how we help. That is how we grow and we come together and we we go places. You know what I mean? No one has gone. Well, I don't want to say no one, but you know, no one has. Yeah. You know, whatever. No one has gone through exactly what I has, I've gone through, but people connect and see themselves in me because the way that I talk and I write is touching base on those human feelings. We all feel judged by others, abandoned by God, you know, life is filled with unexpected and unwanted life. You know, when it brings us down to the ground, we've all had these moments of what now, what next I, can I even do this anymore? You know what I mean? Totally. And I can only imagine for you because I have a pretty small audience, right? It's my clients. It's my listeners. I don't have like a huge Instagram following, but whenever I speak in public or whenever I put something out there that's raw and real, and I tell my clients, I'm like, listen, I'm a really good BS meter and I cannot BS you. Even if I wanted to, whatever I say is sincere and I don't know how to be anything other than real. But every time I do afterwards, immediately it's this shame storm of like, oh my gosh, I didn't need to share that much. You have people telling you God doesn't love you and you should end your life. Yeah. (laughs) How do you deal with that? Do you feel the shame or are you just totally over it no, now? No, I'm over it. And you know what? I just, the best advice I could give anyone in any theme of life, it's the same answer. It could be dating advice. It could be life advice. It could be advice to exactly what you're asking, response to people who are just awful. And that is a, uh, You have to invest and learn how to love yourself because once you learn who you are and invest in loving who you are, 
um, everything else just, it just becomes noise. You know what I mean? I mean, if someone tells me to go kill myself, which they do, I'm reacting differently now than I did say 10 years ago, because at first you feel like, especially when it's within your own community, you feel like, wait, I thought we're in this together. Wait, you shouldn't, this shouldn't be coming from you. It comes and it hurts most when it comes from people you would least expect it, people that should be in your, in your corner. Um, and so I, I went through phases of how to cope and handle that. But I think even through those phases that I went through on how I was going to move forward with that, how I was going to cope and how I was going to respond, it really could still all come under the umbrella of learning to love yourself because you know then that what they're saying is BS and you could shake it off more. You're not seeking validation from other people. So it doesn't bring you down as much. You know what I mean? Totally. And I think it's ironic. I try to explain this to people. This is why I've started doing group work, which I love because I think vulnerability and sharing your story is the quickest way to connect. And it's the quickest way to learn to love yourself. And people don't understand that. I don't think you can really learn to love yourself if you don't own your story. Yeah. Yeah. All of and it, you, know, you know, yeah. And maybe, maybe I don't, I don't have all the answers and I'm not claiming to, nor do I even provide answers to everything I'm addressing. Um, but sometimes, sometimes the answer is, um, letting people that know that they're, they're not alone. Some, sometimes people, they just want to know they're not alone. They're not the only ones. And sometimes that, that is the answer. Yeah. So I would love it if you would just share with us a little bit about your story, your own personal bumpy story. <laughs> it is, you know, so I joined, I, um, found myself getting baptized at the age of 21. So I did this whole life shift facing the opposite direction. And because of this decision that I chose to do with my life, um, since that decision, my life has gone from bad to worse to even worse. And this is now like 11 years since then. And my life still follows in this pattern of bad to worse to even worse. Not so, <laughs> no, 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 not what I expected. But I mean, yeah, so I I just, I because of this decision that people did not agree with or understand, I lost every single one of my friends right out of the gate. Um, my family uh, abandoned me right out of the gate. I moved across the country thinking things would get better and they got even worse. And I I just found myself, uh, you know, just how I look, just covered in tattoos, just in a, a different environment. I'm from New York where everything goes here, you know? Um, and then I found myself in the West and, and I just stuck out. And the way that I was treated was just oh, so awful and it was getting worse. And, and I just, anyways, I picked up writing. <laughs> I picked up speaking. I decided that like, I think it really just is, I want to attribute it, it the New Yorker in me because I, I do, we just talk about everything, like nothing phases us here. And so that's really kind of the tone that I go with all of my efforts now with my writing and my public speaking, um, my books. But um, yeah, I just talk about 
everything. I talk about exactly what I'm thinking and wondering about and wandering over. And, and yeah, I talk about my feelings. I talked about what helps me. What was your question? <laughs> You're good. We're just looking oh, at yeah. journey. Like, my life. Yeah. So, so, and you think it's, it's, it's going to be so good. And then it just, and it's not, it's yeah, good. I lost, I lost everyone, uh, including my family. I have years of silence. I go and I move to this new place thinking that's what I should be doing and things should would get Utah, better. Right? Like to the Mecca. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I almost hate saying that because I do love Utah. <laughs> There's a lot of good in Utah. But, yeah, that's where I was, and it was terrible. I mean, people looked at me, and they took me personal. Because when they looked at me, they they thought that I hate the God that they love. Um, and so people hated me, did not like me, did not understand me because just by looking at me covered in tattoos, they thought that I was just like this um, open rebellious about, yeah, the God that they love. And they treated me as such, um, you know, no one wanted to date me for forever. <laughs> people have said um, some horrible things too. I, I, I think there yeah. was something I heard on another show where you went into a cafe Rio or something. Oh Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I was holding a religious book and they said, pretty ironic looking the way you do holding that book. And, you know, that was the very first thing that happened and was said to me when I moved there. And that just really just set the tone of really just me having to problem solve something I've never had to do before. I mean, at the age of 21, for the first time in my life, I felt uncomfortable with myself. And then that's when I had this light bulb realization, like, wait, I'm not happy. Wait, I don't like this. Wait, I'm not, this isn't who I am. I'm not acting how I want to. Um, and it was just, okay, okay, hold on. If, if it is true that life will always be hard and challenging, if it is true that life will always come with unwanted, unexpected, uncharted, then I need to problem solve how I'm going to respond to it because this, how things are right now is not working. I am not happy. This is not me. And I refuse to have my life be this way. Like I, I just, I'm by nature an optimist, but, but it doesn't mean you are happy all the time. It means that I try hard to, um, be productive. I, I do. I try hard to be productive and not destructive. I always believe that there is another way to see everything. I always believe that there is something good there. Um, and there's always something to help get us out. And, and so I decided to just problem solve. How am I going to respond? Um, and then yeah, I mean, some of the things that I came up with has been my anchor to life continuing the, the getting worse, you know, years of unemployment, um, bad health threatening my my life, you know, just being houseless with family of five, having, you know, our house that we bought falling through and having nowhere to go except a hotel for almost two months. Like, I mean, just, it's just a lot. It's a lot. Life is a lot. But because of you know, things that I invested in, I mean, my life, regardless, it's just vibrant. It's, it's, it's blossoming. And I believe that regardless of what, whatever season we're in life can be and should be vibrant and, and blossoming. 
Yeah. It's a hard thing. Cause I actually grew up in the faith, but I grew up in Seattle. And so had a very, I live in Utah now. And yes, there are many good things about here. And there are things that I don't love at all. <laughs> and so growing up there, um, was a different experience, but I will say having grown up in the faith, I've somehow picked up this message that if you follow the recipe and you do all the things I bought into the fear and shame, which I think is not the true gospel, but I won't get into that. But I, I bought into that, that if I follow this recipe, then my life is going to be fantastic. And yes, I will have a trial, but if I'm worthy through it, then I will reap the benefits. And so I get married at 19 in the temple to return missionary. He cheats on me for four and a half years. I get divorced. And naively, I remember saying, I'm so thankful that I passed the test. And I just have to laugh and want to go back and like, simultaneously hug and smack my younger 25 year old self because little did I know like addiction with people I love and infertility and pregnancy loss. And like you said, it's just one thing after another. And so now I know, I just know that the hard is going to keep getting probably harder. How do you deal with that uncertainty? Like I'm a really anxious person and I want to control and predict. And I, I recognize. Yes. That. Well, we feel like it is safer um it's safer if we're in control of our own lives we feel like we can control the setbacks and the the blow um i get asked all the time in all of these religious podcasts well why is trusting god so hard you know if it's true that there really is a, a perfect creator with all all knowledge and all power why is it hard to give it to him and I think it's just, uh, we want to be able to control, have some sort of comfort and control um, uh, to try and uh, manage <laughs> the trials that come our way that, that way. But um, knowing that my favorite things have come from the times where I am cursing the heavens has been my anchor next time it has come into play. If it worked out fine before, I have hope that it's going to work out fine the next time. If I realized my favorite things have stemmed from the unwanted, the unexpected, really, it could just take just one, one time of seeing your seasons through. Where is it going to lead you? What if you don't hate it? What if it's exactly what you want, but it's packaged differently? What if it's, what if it's even greater than what you have in mind? Now, I'm just, I am, I'm stubborn. I'm too stubborn to have a bad life. I refuse to have a bad life. And so when, when the unexpected and the unwanted come, I will absolutely look for the good. I will absolutely look for the opportunities. And every single time I have found them, every single time I have been led to greater things, even if on the way to them, it's down a path longer than anticipated. And so I'll ask myself, uh, you know, if something's completely out of your control, um, well, what is, I, to me, I believe just Standing still is one of the worst things I could do for myself. I really believe that. Um, so if I catch myself standing still, maybe it's from a trial. Maybe it's from idleness. I don't know. Maybe it's just whatever. What? Maybe we're stuck. Or, you know, maybe we're just tired. You know, maybe maybe we're just tired from it. Uh, what, what is my next step? 
even if that next step is small, what could our next step look like? Uh, what is in my control? What part do and can I have with this, even if it is changing our perspective? Um, I just, I feel like I've learned these self-reflection questions to just take a step back and see a better bird's eye view of, of everything. I love that. I just, yeah. I think we get stuck when we want to figure out how the situation's going to end, but we don't know and we can't control it. So I love that thought about just the next one little thing. And maybe that's even brushing my teeth. <laughs> you know? it yeah. Anything big. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how do you handle those moments when you feel like you're falling apart? I remember hearing you talk about crying on the hotel room floor. And I, I love that. And I just have to give you like a huge pat on the back as a mental health therapist for letting your kids see you fall apart, but also come back together. I love that. Yep. And I want to have a conversation about that. I, um, yeah, I just did this parent podcast and they're like, what's something that you do that you like that you almost don't even realize you do. Um, and I think obviously, yes, to some degree, they don't need to be in, you know, the know of everything, but I just, what a disservice it would be to shield them from these challenges, um, that life is absolutely going to bring, you know, because when they do come, what did we do to help them know how to handle that? We didn't we didn't do anything. It's kind of like, um, you know, learning these principles of the gospel, which is fine, good, great, and grand to know what it's about. But when we don't teach the how, um, what happens when we fall, what now, you know, we don't do that part. So when we do make a mistake, when we do mess up, how do I apply any of this? I don't know. People don't know. People, uh, ripen age sometimes they still don't know because we ha we were focusing on the wrong thing and so i just i don't want to do that with my kids i don't want them to feel like they are not armed knowing how to react to these trials that are going to come regardless of what they are or are not doing right or wrong you know whatever they're just going to come and so yeah this was when we were houseless completely out of our control. It had everything to do with the cellar and we had nowhere to go except the hotel that, that was very small. We have a 150 pound dog and there's five of us in a single room for weeks upon weeks and upon weeks. And obviously I'm going to break down uh, because uh, passing time is one of the hardest things I'll ever be called to go through. Um, and yeah, they saw me scream. They saw me yell at God. Sorry. Um, they saw me yell at God. And, but what they also saw was, yeah, getting back up. They saw, okay, how to problem solve, how to move forward when things are not taken away from you right then. Um, and I think that that's one of the most important things I could teach them other than self-love is is how to get back up when things do not change yeah um, I think too you're giving them permission to feel everything they feel. feel I read one of your blog posts the other day about that could you share a little bit with 
our listeners about that. You were talking about telling your kids, you know, when they get hurt, like, you're okay, you're okay. Ah, yes. I was actually just going to post that to Instagram today. It's, uh, yeah, I taught, I have three kids. And when my second was just a baby and my first is not too far, you know, ahead of him. Um, Yeah. When they get hurt, when they cry, when they get a shot, you're okay. You're okay. It's okay. But I had this light bulb moment. I'm like, one of my pet peeves is when people tell me how I feel. It's like, no, they are wrong a hundred percent of the time. And and I hate when people um, belittle my trial because it's, it's hard for me still, regardless of how anyone else sees it. You know what I mean? And, and I realized by telling my kids, it's fine, you're fine. I'm dismissing their reality. I'm dismissing their valid feelings. They are valid feelings because they are feeling them. And, and I thought I was comforting them when in fact, I'm just, you know, uh, paving this path for them down the line, learning how to dismiss um, their feelings to not bring them up, to not validate them, to not handle them, to not address them. Um, and I just, yikes. <laughs> so yeah. there are other ways, you know, and that's instead of telling them how they are feeling, um, and dismissing their reality, it's just, I mean, yeah, there are other ways to do that. Meaning, um, it's over now. You could say, you know, if they're getting a shot, instead of saying you're fine, you could say it's over now. You can say it's going to get better. You know, yeah. I believe that it will yeah. get better. You can say, um, you know, there's so many things we could say. We can say I'm here. You can yeah. say I'm not alone. I hate shots too. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there before. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think parenting is by far and away the greatest teacher. And I'm, I'm also so passionate about continuing to do my own work. I think learning is never done. And I catch myself all the time. I was in the car with my daughter the other day and she picked out these vans for her birthday. She's five and they've got Maggie Simpson on them and they're purple and they have yellow shoelaces. (laughs) And I picked her up and she was so proud. And she had this like totally mismatch outfit on. And I said, what did your friends think of your shoes? And her face sort of dropped and she said, they didn't say anything. And I went, Oh my gosh, I'm teaching her to look to other people for validation. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly catching myself as I do my own. Yeah. Work myself. It's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So how would you tell people that don't love themselves? Cause I think that's something we all struggle with. People ask me all the time in my practice, how do I learn to love myself, Nikki? And I have my list of answers, but it's an ongoing practice. What would you say? How did you spend, learn to love yourself? Spend time with yourself. I just got asked that I did a Q&A on my Instagram stories and they're like, I'm about to, you know, graduate high school. What do you think I should do? <clears throat> like, what's something you think I should, yeah, do or, or learn as I, as I go out? And I'm like, just spend time with yourself. Hang out with yourself. Um, walk around your house naked more to become more comfortable with your own body. Walk around naked. Who cares? My husband doesn't care. (laughs) I totally agree with that. Yes. I grew up with this like toxic modesty and body shaming. 
And I ended up going to India with a cohort of people 10 years, 12, 13 years ago. Gosh, I'm getting old. But where we did like discovery about ourselves with a mm-hmm. life coach. And my roommate told me that. She said, Nikki, if you want to learn to love your body, you need to get ready naked in front of the mirror. And I was just yep. like horrified. But it's really true. You learn to yep. love yourself that way. <laughs> yeah, it's yes. Um I mean, even if it's, you have to do, do a self inventory, whether you want it, write it down or just think about it. What are things that make you feel filled? What is it that gives you a sense of personal passion? Um, Are we doing those things? Are we to a point in our lives where we feel we are just as important as our kids or your spouse or other people that may be in your life? Do you feel that you are still, you are just as deserving of time spent with yourself and doing things you love as other people? If not, then um, you need to learn better self-love, spend time with yourself, learn things that you love, um, get to a place. And again, spending time with yourself where you do not need to rely on other people, uh, for happiness, for validation, for love. I just feel like each, especially going into a marriage, you, I don't recommend anyone getting married expecting um this this love from someone else when when they are not giving it to themselves first and that goes with happiness yeah make a list what what do you like (laughs) are you doing them if you don't know what you like uh well figure it out spend time with yourself self-inventory yeah Um, try new things see what you're capable of Um, trying new things is for me is I am a completely different person because I take a chance on new things Um, pay attention to your good reoccurring thoughts I believe that if you take a chance on something that comes back to your brain more than once it's like your your soul remembers who you are and this life that you could be living more than we do. And then we can just, it's like trying to bring us in this direction and everything I love the most has come from taking a chance on an idea that popped in my, my, my head more than once. So I have a question for you, Al, you can help me with, I, I have so many passions. I've wanted to write a book for five years. In fact, I've written 150 pages I cannot find it. It's on an old laptop. And I just come up with excuse after excuse after excuse. And so this year I was like, okay, I'm revamping my practice. If you want to work with me, you have to do it in a group setting. I'm maximizing my time. I'm going to write this book. And I have not touched it. And instead what I'm doing is I'm numbing constantly. I pick up my phone, scroll through Instagram, put it away, pick it up. How do you discipline yourself to find that time to just be still? You know. I just, this is preaching to the choir. This, I just said this to my husband. I have so many ideas. And, and what was the progress I made in the past month? I didn't because in my mind, um, I didn't know which one to start with. And I felt like I, I loved them all. Like, how could I prioritize? Is one more important than the other right now? Like, what? I don't know. There's so many questions and then you end up standing still. Um, 
And to me, like I said, once I recognize that no movement has been made and I am standing still, that's when I realized to me, the adversary has gotten the greatest hold on me. To me, I'm not going to go off and do all this bad stuff. To me, not doing anything is the worst thing I could do. That's, that's to me, the adversary is winning and taking advantage of, of and taking hold of my life. Um, so managing is first knowing that you are worthy of your time and pursuit of things you want to do Two, knowing that one doesn't have to be more important than the other, that you can do multiple things. Um, sometimes we feel like we need to have the idea come into our head first of how to start. So we wait and we wait and we put it off until that idea comes before we can like, oh, I, I finally got it. Let's go sit down and, and work on it. But for me, um, that has never been the case. My idea of how to start or what my next part is into figuring out whatever it is I want to do doesn't come until I honestly sometimes just lock myself in my room. Sometimes Ben literally does have to take my phone from me and he says, I'm taking the kids out, um, go in the room. And actually my kids aren't even a good excuse. They've, they've never been the reason why I haven't done something. I can't even, I can't even blame them. But to me, I, I have to remind myself almost daily that progress happens when I am in motion. The idea uh, will not come until I sit down and I am working. Um, it is easier for God to do something with us when we are in motion. It is easier and faster to him to bring us to the next step of whatever it is when we are moving. Um yeah, get rid of distractions, uh, sit down and, and just nothing to it, nothing to it, but to do it. But the second that you sit down, um, I, I think things will unfold rather than just waiting for them to come to you. Does that make sense? I'm rambling. I don't no, know. Totally, I struggle with this. <laughs> no, it totally makes sense. My problem is I feel like, in fact, I was saying my prayers this morning and I'm like, why is it that I wake up feeling shame and I go to bed feeling shame? And then I do the same thing every morning. Like yesterday, I was like, okay, I'm not getting on my phone today all day. I'm not doing it. Then the second I come up with a reason to do it, it's my son's birthday. I got to post something. Right. So then I post it and then I'm in that cycle and I'm like, ah, oh, I know better. I'm, I'm learning right now. I don't know if you've heard of this concept, but there's this theoretic model called the internal family systems, which I'm fascinated about. I've never heard about it before. And it's like all the light bulbs are going off. And the theory is that we have our different parts of our personality. And when we view those parts as a whole, we feel shame because a part of us is like a top dog, high achieving performer. And a part of us is an underdog, slacker, lazy. When we see ourselves as the whole, then we beat ourselves up, right? Because I'm looking yeah. at that part going, oh, that's part of who I am versus in this system, there's the self, which is your conscious, curious, compassionate, you know, centered self, who you really are. And then outside you have these other three parts. There's the exiles, which is all your shame and your wounds and your pain. And those want to stay hidden. And then you have the manager part of you, which wants to control and wants to suppress all of the pain so that we don't feel it. So I'm like organized on top of things, high achieving, controlling, worry prone. That's my managers. 
And then we have the firefighters, which are like, okay, it's getting too intense. Managers aren't doing their job. Don't want to feel the pain. Let's numb out. Let's get on social media. Let's smoke a joint, like whatever your numbing mechanism is. And it's just fascinating to me because I'm like, how do I peel apart those other layers and focus on my true self? And I think it's first by just recognizing those parts of self. I don't know. Now I'm rambling. <laughs> no, no. And you know, I don't think those feelings have to be a bad thing. If we feel like, ah, you know, I think there, there's good in there because we recognize a better self. Totally. Uh, we, we feel that way because we know we can do better. And that is a good thing. We feel that way because we know that we are capable of more. And these are all good things. I think when it becomes bad is when it holds us captive, you know what I mean? And we start believing that we can't and we shouldn't because we haven't yet. I think that is the line of good and bad. Um, I feel all the time that same exact thing you're, you were telling me almost every night I go to bed and I'm like, ah, I could have done that. Why didn't I, I even had time to do it. You know what I mean? And, and I didn't ah, every night. I just like, Ugh. but but I, I think that is good that we feel that way. I think, I think we should be a little concerned if we stop feeling that way, because then, you know, we, we've capped ourselves and that is not, that is, that is when I think we should be concerned when we're like, nah. when we stop caring, I think that is a bigger concern. But if we get to a point where it is unhealthy and we start, um, uh, it brings like this darkness that we can't get rid of. We start believing like, why bother? That's when I'm like, okay, okay, okay. That's, that is too far. We need to problem solve in a different way. Yeah. But I think, I think a little bit of that, like, uh, I think that's, I think that's can be good when we react properly to it, which is, yeah, exactly what you said knowing that I'm going to try again. So when we stop trying, that's when it's a bigger problem. <laughs> when yeah. you stop trying, that's the bigger, the bigger problem. When we stop worrying about it or thinking that we couldn't do it anymore. That's, that's the real issue. I think. I agree. And I think, I think we all have different levels of tolerance. Like I'm thinking about my house right now. So we got back from vacation a week ago. I called my housekeeper. I'm like, can you have everything perfect? When I walk in the door, I'm going to have my laundry done. And within a week, it's like, a disaster because I've thrown a birthday party and I'm working and I'm putting groups together and it's a disaster. And now I'm like at my threshold. I'm like, okay, I got to clean today. I feel that way in my personal life too. I get to that point where it's like, all right, time to clean house, Nikki. <laughs> time mm -hmm. to. I love your idea though. of just actually giving my phone to my husband and just going and sitting down and spending time with myself, getting clear on what I need to do for my proverbial house keeping. Mm -hmm. Um, doing some of my mood boosters actually really helps with that. If I need to like get in the groove, I think of like, okay, let me just do a mood booster. And it really helps me to perform better. And my brain is, is better when I do that. And sometimes it's like, okay, I'm here. I'm ready to do it. Let's go. And sometimes even when you do sit down and, and it still doesn't, you can't get there. Your brain's not in it. And you're like, come on, I'm here. I'm trying. I got the time brain. Get it together. Focus, focus. <laughs> um, you know, then I've learned, okay, chewing gum helps. Where's, where's gum? I've learned, oh, actually standing up helps better. Actually, 
Um, instead of doing this on my clean dining room table, I actually realized my brain works better um, sitting in this room. Like just weird, bizarre things that I've I've noticed. You know, actually, like if I turn this type of music off and listen to this type of music, my brain responds better to brainstorming. Like um, on Sundays, you know, I'm a writer and I write about religion. I write about God and things within that. But but for the life of me, even on Sunday. I realize when I listen to church music, it does the opposite effect. Cannot, mm. cannot function with church music, even on a Sunday, even when I am writing about church and God. Can't do it. So it's just like these little mood boosters. Uh, sun makes me feel better. I'm going to open blinds and then my brain starts working just, just a little bit differently. Just, just a little, little bit. I don't know. I love that. And I think it's so important too, to be open to what boosts our mood when you're talking about listening to church music, puts you in a funk or you didn't use those words, but for me, no, it it's, does. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I used to, for years, I would go to yoga and, or I would go hiking and I would have this like deep spiritual connection with God and I would dismiss it. Cause I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not in my scriptures. I'm not praying. I'm not at church. I'm not at the temple. And I've realized like, I don't have those spiritual experiences in those settings. I have them at yoga and I have them in nature and it's okay. I'm grateful for yep. it. <laughs> yep. Tell me what's still hard in your life and how you manage to have joy. Because I'll tell you, I'm going to self-disclose once again, I have this gross habit or addiction. I think that when I'm in a rough place, which is often, there's a piece of me that wants to stay there because it's the devil I know and not the devil I don't know. And joy feels so vulnerable because it's like, it's like when my daughter was born and those people who know me personally know I've wanted to have a daughter since I was three years old and I had my first son and then I had my second son and then I did in vitro and had my third son. And I was like, yeah, I'm never going to have a little girl. It's just, that's my lot in life. It's okay. I'm a boy mom. And then out of nowhere, here comes Lucy joy. Like 22 months later, I'm like, I'm what I'm 42. This has got to be menopause. I'm not having a baby. I had the hardest time bonding with her. And I've realized since, because she's everything I've ever wanted and I'm terrified to lose it. So how do you deal with that vulnerability of inviting joy in, or even just optimism in the midst of your trials? So back rounding back to my question, what is hard right now? And how do you manage to stay hopeful and to find joy? Oh, I think it really just is, I am too stubborn. I refuse. Yes, it is. It is important and crucial and worth it to feel your feelings when they're happening them exactly what we're talking about feel them recognize them but it's up to us whether or not we choose to live there but I really think I just I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to live I don't want to live there and I feel like I've always had that mindset that it's just yeah, I feel them because my best things, my best things that I've ever written, my best things that I've ever received have come from me feeling my hard feelings. Um, I don't know. Can I just I, learned can I personal and ask. Yeah. So in your pregnancy with mercy, I don't know mm -hmm. a lot about like the details, but your life almost was died. Yeah. 
how did you, t- as a mom, that's my biggest fear is like dying, leaving my kids and my husband marries a wicked stepmother. And I've already told him like, I will haunt you if she's mean to my kids. <laughs> how did you manage to get through that? Because you have no control. No. Um, I honestly, like not a lot of women will agree with my statement, but it's how I felt. I told Ben, I'm not ready to die for this baby. I never met. I don't know how many people can say that, but I know everyone would be like, I want my baby to live. Like, I don't care what happens to me, save the baby. And I went to my husband that whole pregnancy saying, I'm not ready to die for this baby. I'm just with you. hundred (laughs) percent. I just, I, 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 I don't want that and that is a scary reality knowing my biggest fear is death and and it was looking at me in the eye but honestly like at that point my my only response to this was a religious answer I don't know how I can respond to this without without it being one is I I I had received blessings from God with this life that I hadn't received yet. And so the only thing that kept me afloat was knowing that I, there's no way I'm, I'm done. This is, this isn't over. I don't even, even when the odds were not in my favor and even when things kept going from bad to worse and even more complicated and unfolding, like there, I just, I don't know, just knowing that, no, this isn't it. I'm not over. Even if I was, that mindset alone is what allowed me to live every day as, you know, you know, that wasn't debilitating. Okay. So death is my biggest fear too. And I'm curious, like, how do you, how do you deal with that? Cause I find for me, I've learned and I'm learning worry is just a total distraction for me, mm-hmm. from my real problems, but how do you how do you cope with that? Because when I'm going through a trial, it's almost like in some ways I'm like, okay, yeah, good. I'll take this one. Just don't let me die. Don't let me get some horrible disease or somebody I love. Like, how do you deal with that? Well, I just tell myself I'm never dying. I I just joke. I just say, oh, I'm not dying. You guys could die. Not me. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here forever. Um, actually it's, it's a motivator. Um, especially I feel like we're we're very similar we have all of these ideas we like helping people we get on ourselves when we're not as productive as we know we could be um we even have the same the same fear the fear of death but really like that to me is my greatest motivator and even my only few mantras that I tell myself with life like all we have is is now like this is it And that right there is my greatest uh, tool as my response to hate, as my um, response or reminder when I'm idle. It's just like, I am only here once. Like, this is it. This is, this is my only go at it. And I refuse to let Debbie, who's telling me to kill myself, bring me down. I refuse to let someone I don't even know be the reason why I give up or slow down on my one and only shot at this. Like there's no way 
If, if, if I am only here once, like I absolutely am going to go after whatever crazy idea that I have to, just to, just to bring me some sort of joy or satisfaction, or just to see if I even can do it because why the heck not? Why am I not taking a chance on myself when, when this is my life and I am here once there's no, there's no way, like, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. And, and, you know, today, this is it this is, this is it. And I absolutely will keep going. I absolutely will not give up on my one and only shot at this. And that, that applies to every single, every single thing in my life. I love that. I'm feeling so pumped actually. <laughs> it's funny because we are very similar and that's why I love my work so much as I've learned that anybody who worries, they're going to be creative and intelligent and really empathetic and sensitive and honest and a perfectionist and hard on themselves. It's like, I'm meeting my kinsfolk. When I do work. <laughs> great I things. It. Great things are. Yeah. I'd love it. And it's funny I have, I have resisted that whole thought about death too. And thought, well, no, you know, the savior will come or I'll be translated or something. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to have to die. And I actually had a therapist look at me once and he was like, I was having these neurological symptoms that I still get They They mimic MS and it's whatever. I don't know what it is. It's the, it's the stress, I guess, accumulation of stress in my body. But he looked at me and he said, you know, you're going to die someday. Right. And I was like dumbfounded, like, no, uh, not me. We, uh, he's like, you're going to die and you're going to be replaced and you're going to be forgotten. And so my homework that week was to go home and repeat to myself, Nikki's going to die. Nikki's going to die. Nikki's going to die. And as crazy as that sounds, it was really cathartic. I was like, yeah, I'm totally going to die. So how am I going to live today? Just like you mm -hmm. said, what am I going to mm -hmm. do today to live my life to the fullest? I love you that. know, you know, this was interesting and this may seem irrelevant, but stick with me. I got to ask, I have a personal trainer at the, the gym because <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, but being active is, is one of my mood boosters. I have to stay active. I don't know how to do that without selling someone telling me how to do that. Anyways, he asked me just casually, would you rather know how you're going to die or when? And I said, I don't know. I don't want to know when I'm going to die. I don't want to know that. So I don't want to know either. Well, so then he's like, are you crazy? I'm like, what do you mean? And he's just like, say, say you were told you're going to die by someone abducting you and killing you. He said, you will have this fear every single time. Every time you leave the house, you're going to start getting paranoid and, and become victim to this, I, this, this fear of maybe, you know, is it, is it today? Is it, is it that guy? You know what I mean? And it, the more I think about it and then I'm like, okay. And then he's like, you know, if, if you know, when you can properly plan and make the best use of your time. And the more I think about this, and obviously I did change my answer um, after hearing him say that, but the more I think about this answer, which is, you know, strangely enough, more often than it should, should be that way. I don't think it was most to be meant to be a, a life changing question, but, uh, like how there's so much truth to this is this fear immobilizes us that we don't actually end up spending our time in the best way that we can. 
And honestly, like I'm one of these people that works better under a deadline. I work, I, I thrive under a small amount of time. Every single one of my books I wrote have been written in a week and a half because I, uh, you know, whatever. I don't me. I planned my son's surprise party Saturday and it was last night. So yeah, yeah. But I, I thrive knowing like the little time that I have, I can just crank it out. And I think that's why I'm having such an issue with all of these side projects that I feel passionate about is because I haven't set that deadline on and having no end in sight, you're allowed to get carried away with these emotions that you don't end up getting anything done. You've become a victim to, to these feelings. Um, and yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. (laughs) You know, there's a book you might love. It's by Irvin Yalom and it's called staring at the sun. And he's an incredible gifted therapist, like so real and uses like present tense. He's very like not afraid to disclose things, which most people in my field are, but he, he suggests that everybody's fears all boil down to the fear of death. And so it's a whole book about that. And it's really fascinating. And I think when we do confront that fear and acknowledge that, yeah, we're going to die, it does help us live today. So tell us what's next for you. What, what is your next big thing you're working on? If you're willing yeah, actually, I haven't even told anyone, <laughs> but I, um, I, I always felt like I, I'm, I'm in such a niche. Everything I've done has been within, within this niche. In the past few years, I've just felt this nagging that I've, I've built a ceiling over me and I, I couldn't break out of it. And so a lot of the personal projects that I'm working diligently and secretly on now is I popped out a kid's book. Um, wrote a kid's book, which is so out of my realm and it has nothing to do with God or religion. And it's really awesome. And I'm very excited about that. Um, new to me going down a completely different road than I've ever been down that I'm still problem solving and figuring out, but also, um, I wanted to do self-help and courses on, yeah, self-love, self-acceptance and building this life that you love, pursuing passions. I think that's really where, um, yeah, that's where I'm at. And so I want to get into the realm of, of courses and I'm just trying to figure out the best approach to, to doing that. Well, if you want to talk more, I, that's exactly what I've been doing and I love it and I'm passionate about it and we need more people like this, this pandemic has rocked everybody's world in one way or another. Like my practice quadrupled and I was suddenly like, I can't, I'm going through my voicemails and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was three months ago and I haven't responded. So we need more support. So if you want to talk more and brainstorm, I'd, I'd love to. I'd be happy to. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things I've learned to, for me to be a good public speaker and a good writer, you have to be the best at um, uh, really just paying attention to people. I have to, to be a good writer and a good public speaker to really speak to people. You just have to pay attention to what people are saying and feeling around you. You have to be a, like a people watcher, even over the internet in comments. Um, Cause then you can know what to respond to, what they're feeling. Um, and yeah, what, what's say, relevant. Like, I'm so grateful for that because I just on a whim one night was like, you know what, if I could just reach for the stars, I would want to have Richard Paul Evans and Al Caraway 
on my podcast and I sent you both. And I've sent, I have sent requests to so many people that are just, I, I don't know. I mean, they're just people, right? But they're not Al Caraway and they're not Richard Paul Evans. And you responded. Like, what made you do that? I'm so grateful. This is, um, well, this pandemic, like you said, it's really shifted a lot of people. And for me, it impacted me so directly because it took away the biggest thing that makes me feel filled. And all of a sudden I realized I feel off. I don't like this. I don't know what to do with myself because I'm not doing those things that give me personal purpose. And I honestly, I told Ben, I said, I feel like I'm just blowing in the wind some days. And that was in response to not being able to travel to public speak. Like that is what gave me this, you know, this anchor to who I am. And so to me, I'm actually the, I'm actually too, I'm too good at saying no. I say it's so easy. It's too easy for me to, to say no. And podcast was always one of those things that I just like, why would I do that? I was like impossible to get to to interview because I was doing other things. But for me, I've said yes to every single podcast interview this past year and almost year and a half, because it was my way of using what I feel is my gifts, being able to talk about things that are important to me and feeling like I was making some sort of dent because that again is how I feel build is, is talking about things that are important and using my gifts, um, which is the gift of gab, I guess. I love it. Me too. I get paid to talk for a living. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I realized, yikes. I mean, the one thing I've learned the most from, from listening is (gasps) people are struggling with themselves. Yeah. People, people are struggling with themselves and it is happening at every single age. The amount of messages I have received recently of people 60 plus who have yet to learn how to love themselves and how much I know that will affect their lives. Um, how much that I'm like, this is it. This is, this has to be my next project. There's, there's no, nothing else in my brain except that I love it's it. gotta be. Yeah. Learn to love yourself, you guys. Do not do not ever waste your time trying to convince someone that you're you know you're worthy of their time. Like you are Simon Cowell, and everyone's auditioning to be on your show. All right, I love Gosh, it. Gosh, dang it! <laughs> <laughs> Any parting words of wisdom? Uh, your life is, is beautiful and it's vibrant and there are absolutely things in every season you're in to, to make it that way. Even the, the crappy ones, especially the crappy ones. So enjoy living friend. Everything beautiful is here just for you. I love it. I can't thank you enough. I so appreciate your time. <laughs> thank you. And that's it for another episode of Backseat Driver. Please share any questions with me via email at podcastbackseatdriver at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram at Backseat Driver Podcast. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you're experiencing, you're not alone. I'm here breathing with you, helping you navigate the twists and turns of life from the backseat. Thanks for listening.